From the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., this is Update One, the club's official podcast. It features newsworthy stories originating from the NPC facilities, as well as broader topics related to journalism, communications, press freedom, and transparency. It's a story you've been hearing about for more than two years, and it shows no signs of going anywhere anytime soon. Of course, I'm talking about the coronavirus, and that's the focus of this edition of Update One. I'm Mike Kempen, a co-vice chair of the Broadcast Podcast Committee here at the Press Club. The guest is Washington, D.C. Ward 2 Council Member Brooke Pinto who has sponsored legislation designed to help businesses overcome the setbacks they have suffered as a result of COVID-19. Council member, welcome to Update One. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. We first started hearing about COVID-19 a little more than two years ago. That is when it first arrived in the U.S. Are you surprised that we're still hearing about yet another surge in cases throughout the U.S.? You know, I think once we got about a year into the pandemic, it became clear that the ever-evolving nature of these variants was going to be just that, ever-evolving, and that our healthcare experts nationwide and throughout the world have told us and informed us that this variant is going to continue changing and that we all have to be adaptable to what comes next. And so I think this is going to be something that we are living with and something that we need to get used to mitigating as opposed to expecting an end date. So you foresee more variants in the future and we just have to learn how to deal with them. Unfortunately, I do. I think because we didn't reach herd immunity within a few months of the vaccine being distributed and available, uh, unfortunately, this is probably the state of affairs for quite some time. We're talking about the health impacts, but there are also economic impacts of this variant as well. And I know you've introduced legislation to address the economic impact of Ward 2 in D.C. It's known as the Recovery Act. What is the Recovery Act and what would it do? Sure. And just to give your listeners a sense of context of Ward 2 within D.C., we call our our areas within the city wards. Um, And we have eight wards in D.C. And Ward 2 includes downtown D.C. um, and everywhere from Shaw to Logan Circle, DuPont Circle, West End, Foggy Bottom, Calorama, and Georgetown. And we have almost 50% of all of the businesses in D.C. located in Ward 2, and over 50% of the workforce in D.C. works in Ward 2. And so business recovery is extremely important to Ward 2 uh, and also important to the recovery of our city as a whole. And one of the things that we've been trying to do throughout the pandemic is listen to our residents and businesses to hear what it is that they need. So when they tell us customers are worried to dine inside, we set up a streetery program so that restaurants could establish seating and dining and outdoor heaters outside with expedited permits so that they could stay in business. Um, When we hear from our businesses that there's no foot traffic for office workers walking around that used to patronize their restaurants and retail establishments, 
we know we have to think creatively to get people back to our downtown. And a thriving downtown is vitally important to a thriving city and to our entire tax base. And so I introduced a bill last year called the Recovery Act that you mentioned. And the Recovery Act seeks to do a couple of things and utilize a few different financial tools to get people back downtown. One of which is it offers a tax abatement to incentivize conversions of vacant office spaces to residential units and affordable residential units. Because our most resilient communities throughout the pandemic, and this is true of Washington, D.C., and every city across the country, were the communities that were the most diverse in their uses. Those that had access to transportation, to grocery stores, to residence, and to businesses. And so one of the lessons that we've learned is that we have to build resilient communities. And one of the ways to do so is have more residents. So the Recovery Act incentivizes these conversions. It also offers grant money to encourage uh, businesses to locate in downtown for a two-year grant, uh, particularly for retail, hotels, restaurants, and the arts, which we know are really important. Um, and the third thing the Recovery Act does is it encourages entrepreneurship by establishing the Pennsylvania Avenue Innovation District um, to provide additional tax relief for innovative business ideas uh, who want to open up shop in the Central Business District. So you introduced us, I believe, in October of last year. That's right. And we are waiting uh, to have a hearing and to get this bill over the finish line because we continue to hear from so many residents and businesses that they really like this idea. They could really use these incentives and benefits. Um, and it's, it's ultimately going to benefit our entire ecosystem downtown. Is this what you're proposing, your legislation, is this a model for other communities? Could it be successful elsewhere? At least the basics of it. I think so. I think there are a lot of pieces of the Recovery Act that would absolutely apply to other cities with downtowns. Because what we've learned from each other, from our our colleagues across the country, is these resiliency issues are so important to a thriving community really across the country, this diversity of uses, diversity of residents, uh, making sure that we have access to transportation and food and housing, and again, our businesses rely on that diversity to stay open. We have an area in our city um, called the Golden Triangle, which is right next to uh, the downtown area, kind of close to where the White House is. There are only 39 residents who live there. So during the pandemic, the majority of our business closures that the Washington, D.C. suffered from happened in this Golden Triangle area because those businesses were completely reliant on office workers and foot traffic during the day. Only 39 residents living there was not going to keep them afloat. And so instead of... Um, just trying to get everyone back to work, which is hugely important, and we need we need people back in the office. We also need to learn the lessons from the pandemic and bring people to live in those communities. And I, I think that that's true for communities and neighborhoods across the country. Now, you touched on something very important. You talked about bringing people back to the office. Yet so many companies now, not just in D.C. nationally, seem like they're embracing more of either a hybrid work model where people are working 50% of the time at home, 50% of the time in the office, or in some cases, they're working 100% of the time remote. Do you see your ward embracing anything like that in the future? 
Well, we have a special responsibility and obligation here in Washington, D.C. as the seat of the federal government. And we need our federal uh, government and workers to be more frequently in the office um, to support our downtown communities. But I will say that in terms of the private sector and public sector and offering a place to work that is fitting what employees across the country are calling for, flexibility is going to be the wave of the future. And I think it's a mistake to say we have to just get back to where we were in 2019. I know some people would love that, but there are lessons that we've learned. We've learned that people can be productive from home um, in certain job environments. We've learned that with a staffing shortage that many employees have more optionality for where they go. Um, my hope is that that flexibility doesn't, um, be, doesn't lead to an environment where we have one entire class of people going into the office every day or going into jobs every day that have to be completed in person, like childcare, like construction, um, and having white collar jobs all from home, I think that that could lead to an even more unequal society. But I do think a degree of flexibility is the future and is where people are, are headed. What about the federal government? They've obviously been very involved in the response. Is there anything in your opinion they could have done or they need to be doing in terms of addressing COVID, both the health impact and the economic impact? Well, a, I think, as I mentioned, our um, federal government needs to have workers coming back to work, even on a hybrid schedule, but a little bit more frequently in person. I think that that's going to send a message to private industry as well, that we need to be coming back to work at least sometimes. Um, so I think that's really important. The other thing I think is allowing local jurisdictions to really drive some of the conversation about what the need is. So I'll give you an example. When we um, were figuring out, we as in local and the federal government, figuring out how to support our restaurant community, our small business community that was struggling so much during COVID, there were some major restaurant chains that were involved in the lobbying efforts on what a fund could look like. And the Restaurant Revitalization Fund was established. And that fund provided resources to restaurants based off of their 2019 revenue. Now, for many restaurants, that was an appropriate model because it allowed them to get back up to neutral. But for some restaurants um, that had opened in 2020 or 2021, that formula was not appropriate. Or for other small businesses that may not neatly fit within a category of hotel or restaurant or retail, they were lacking some support. And so I think as we look backward at what we could have done better and as we look forward, I think it's really important to make sure that our relief is flexible enough that the needs of the local businesses and the local jurisdictions can be accurately met. How long do you foresee the economic recovery taking from COVID-19? Or do you think this will be something that's ongoing many years into the future? I definitely think it is going to happen on an ongoing basis and that we are as I said earlier, evolving. Um, there is recover There are recovery efforts that happened in 2020 and 2021 that look very different than what we're focused on now. When I talk about um, conversion of spaces, that's in an effort to learn the lessons from the pandemic again and reimagine how we use spaces, reimagine how we bring families together. Um, downtown in particular has a lot to offer our residents and our visitors, whether that's access to green spaces or the National Children's Museum, um, our arts and entertainment, our fantastic sports teams. And so I think 
as we focus on our recovery, again, it's not returning to where we were in 2019, but it's reimagining how we can all utilize our public spaces and build community in a way that is, is benefits our residents and benefits our businesses. How often are you in contact with lawmakers from other cities and discussing with them how they're dealing with COVID? You know, we try to expose ourselves to various opportunities to interact with other lawmakers because there's a lot of lessons to be learned. There are different avenues that I've pursued on the uh, National Conference of State Legislatures that gives me an opportunity to speak to colleagues across the country. Um, I serve on the state and local tax committee there um, and so had a chance to go out to New Mexico a few months ago and visit with lawmakers on how they're rethinking tax codes, particularly in light of COVID recovery, um, and you know, speak about some of these ideas that we talked about with incentives with the Recovery Act. Um, the White House has also done a really good job in collaborating with state and local governments to give us messaging um, and opportunities for the conference calls to learn from each other. And I also serve on the Council of Governments, uh, which is a great chance to work with other regional leaders. And I serve on the Transportation Planning Board in that capacity. And so we do a lot of work with Metro and with our environmental standards and goals, um, which is a huge piece of our recovery as well for COVID to make sure that our transportation systems are up and running, are accessible, affordable, and frequent so that our, our residents can get where they need to to go. And as we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, COVID's been not just a local or national, but international story for two years. We've been hearing about it on a daily basis. How do you think the news media has covered it, both locally and nationally? Well, you know, one major problem that people have is COVID fatigue. And that is not the fault of the news media, because it is newsworthy and important to be covered so people understood the risk. Um, but I do worry as we enter the third year of this that we need to make sure that we continue to educate our residents in a manner that doesn't exhaust them um, and that, that they stay alert to what the risks are. I do think one um, opportunity for improvement uh, is around our non-traditional businesses um, and the disproportionate effects that COVID has had on our workforce. We still have had a wildly disproportionate impact on our women in the workforce, uh, what some refer to as the she session, um, and not having women return to the workforce in the with the levels that they were prior to the pandemic um, and have taken on the majority of childcare and, and house tasks. And I think that that is really important as we head to the future for the local and national media coverage to cover both non-traditional businesses that are still struggling that might not fit neatly into the recovery categories of you know, restaurant, hotel, retail, and others, um, and also our workforce that hasn't recovered at um, equal rates. Final question. You mentioned educating the people without the fatigue factor. That's a tough balancing act. How would you suggest going about doing that? I think giving people action items. Um, I think people, for the most part, want to be helpful to themselves, their families, and their communities, and know what they can do to keep everybody safe. So whether that is information about um, 
accurate, consistent information about where the trends are for case rates so that people can make determinations about if they're going to wear a mask indoors, um, information about how to get a booster shot and how accessible that is now. I still meet residents who um, might not know where they can go to get a vaccine or a booster, even though we've tried uh, every op manner to reach them. Um, to, to share that information with them. So I think being creative in the ways that we're reaching people, whether that's through TV, podcasts, radio, um, in person, to make sure we're, we're really meeting people where they are. Council member, thanks for stopping by today. We appreciate your appearance on Update One. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Our guest has been Washington, D.C. Ward 2 Council member Brooke Pento. I'm Mike Hempen. Have a good day. You have been listening to Update One, the official podcast of the National Press Club, the world's leading professional organization for journalists and a vigorous advocate of press freedom worldwide. If you have any questions or comments about Update One, send an email to updateonepodcast at gmail.com.